Welcome to the Dogs and Deadlifts, Building Better Dogs podcast. If you like a podcast that is raw, unfiltered, and authentic, you have come to the right place. Our goal is to bring clarity around canine fitness and conditioning. We help people ignite their dog's performance and build better dogs. Join your host, Daniel Rose, as we discuss fitness, nutrition, and mindset for dogs. Let's do this. back to the Dogs and Deadlifts podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Rose. Today, we have all the way from uh, Dublin and Ireland, Louise Jones. Hi, Louise. Morning, Daniel. How are you? It's fantastic. Thank you very much for, uh, I suppose, number one, getting out of bed early. So it's a, it's a bit of a treat for me that uh, I'm normally up super early, um, you know, recording these podcasts. So thank you very much for, uh, for getting out of bed at, uh, what, 5 a.m. to come on the show. Yeah, it's all part of the fun in the dog world, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> For sure. No, certainly um, I appreciate it. And I'm sure our uh, our listeners today will um, appreciate it and also enjoy what basically we've got to talk about today. But, but Hopefully. Before we get into that, though, um, you know, let's uh, let's have a chat. You and I have uh, known each other for what a couple of years now, probably, and uh, you know, we yeah. we talk often. But um, you know, for those uh, out there listening, you know, whether they're uh, in the UK or USA or Australia, let's um, let's sort of jump into uh, who is Louise Jones and uh, you know where sort of where did it all start for you. Um, okay, so I'm Louise Jones, as you said, and um, I own Positive Fitness, so it's spelled P-A-W-S-I-T-I-V-E, um, a little play on the word positive there. Um, so yeah, I teach kind of canny cross classes and bike jarring workshops and scooter workshops, so it's all canny sports related. Um, I got into canny sports myself back in 2011. Um, I got a Husky and I wanted to kind of do what Huskies were bred to do. So I, I discovered this sport Um, started it with the Husky and the Husky. We got a broken Husky and she had no interest in doing it at all. Uh, <laughs> hooked her up to the bike, tried to train her. And she said, no, I'm not pulling your fares. Um, feck off. <laughs> but luckily enough, I had, um, I had another dog at the time who was, we think was a pointer cross and he loved it. So um, only for him, I probably would have given up straight away after we got the husband because like I said she had no interest and mm -hmm. uh, she kind of enjoyed it but she was never madly driven like a lot of the huskies that you see mm -hmm. um time went on I added a northern Inuit um which is a Game of Thrones dog mm -hmm. to the mix and I thought well he looks like a husky and he's bigger so he should be stronger faster and he didn't have any interest in doing it either so uh, yeah there was another dud um so luckily enough, then we we got a pointer mix and um, we kind of got her from a dodgy, we took her from a dodgy breeder um, at six months old. And as soon as we hooked her up to a lead, she'd never been on a lead before. As soon as we hooked her up to a lead, she was pull, 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 pull. Mm -hmm. And that's when I really kind of became passionate about the sport. Um, and she just loved it. I mean, she's she loves canny cross, bike, scooter. And, you know, she's only maybe about 21, 22 kilos, but, you know, she could hold her own up against the, the bigger dogs that were racing here. You know, I mean, she was seven seconds behind Graysters and, and stuff like that, you know, the, the porpoise bred sled dogs. Mm -hmm. So I went to a couple of different European championships with her and kind of saw the dogs that were doing well. Um, so decided then two and a half years ago to get a Eurohound. 
which is another purpose-bred um, dog. So that's uh, that's been my crazy racing life story. But um, about four years ago, I decided that, you know, I was working as a healthcare assistant and just getting burned out. You know, I was doing it the best part of 20 years and just the passion was kind of gone. So I wanted to look more into working with dogs. So I set up Positive Fitness because I enjoyed the sport so much and I wanted to kind of share that passion with other people. Mm-hmm. So I set up the business and started selling sled dog equipment and started teaching classes and doing one-to-one sessions with people. And it's just kind of gone from there. So I'm hoping to expand the business and look into other aspects of health and fitness as time goes on. Um, I'm almost qualified in gallon myotherapy because I know you had Hushla and Julia on yep. a few months ago. Yep. Um, so that'll be another tool that i'll be adding to the to the business and have a few other things in yeah in mind too so we'll see what happens yeah now we often talk and i know that uh, you've been putting uh, you know a lot of um uh, i suppose uh resources into your you know your education especially over the last couple of years you know and it's, it's great mm. to see and um you know it, it finally um you know just around the corner and uh looking forward to uh seeing you know where this where this all goes you know um to expand yeah. your business so there's some really really cool shit that i know that you've been up to <laughs> but, you <laughs> know, but busy. We'll, yeah i know but we'll talk about that later <laughs> yeah um so awesome so you know today you know we wanted to uh get together and wanted wanted to have a chat about um you know obviously a number of different aspects of your business as you mentioned you talk you know uh started off as uh you know primarily candy cross but uh really you know we we reached out to the audience both yours and mine and um we wanted to focus a little bit around uh scooter and uh you know equipment and things like that uh in today's chat and certainly we will we've got a number of questions there that we'll answer a little bit later but um you know let's Let's uh, talk about your your journey, I suppose, you know, where you got, you know, obviously, uh, you know, you do a lot of canny and how that sort of progressed into the wheeled, uh, you know, the wheeled activities, etc. Um, well, I'm a shit runner. <laughs> um, I always say I'm a canny crosser. I'm not a runner. If I have to run with no dog, I am completely crap. Um <laughs> and never enjoyed it even in school I you know I came up with every excuse I could not to have to run when we were doing um PE you know or, or gym or whatever you call it in mm-hmm. the other countries that are listening um hated running never liked it tried it just couldn't my little stumpy legs were just way too short and I <laughs> couldn't get very far when my little legs were were moving um so as much as I enjoy candy cross wheels were my passion yeah um and I found like I said I've I've short legs but you know, they're strong. And I found that it was in the wheels that they really kind of benefited me. Mm-hmm. Um, so started competing in wheels just because it was easier than having to run. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> and, and that, that's, that's the truth. That's it. Um, and I just found, yeah, like I said, I, I kind of found it more enjoyable. Mm-hmm. And it was definitely my passion. And that adrenaline buzz that you get when you're whizzing through a, you know, a forest trail at 30, 40 kilometers an hour attached to a dog is a, it's great you know we all have to die sometimes so yeah for sure and uh, it even makes it even you know um i've certainly have a couple of stacks you know, we're going to talk about having stacks at that those speeds but you know certainly uh yeah. you know as you mentioned you, you get the uh get the adrenaline rush happening um yeah. so you know like i said I, we wanted to focus on scooter and do you find that um you know people start out in in Kenya or do they, you know and then go oh what's that over there you know what's the general you know um I, you know, I suppose concept or what's the, what are people sort of thinking about when they, they, uh, they see the scooters or the, you know, they, they come to you for candy or do they come straight for a scooter or a bike even? Um, 
it kind of depends because you'll get the runners who want a canny cross you know they love running they love running with their dog and they want to blend the two together then you get people like me who kind of start a canny cross and then realize oh hold on there's something else that you know so you might get mountain bikers of a couple of mountain bikers that have come to me yeah. and just wanted you know they'd have their own skills it's just that they wanted to learn to mm-hmm. to actually bike with the dog yeah. um the scooter would kind of be the same now the problem with the scooter is that it's very hard over here to find secondhand scooters yeah you know what i mean so a lot of people would like to try it it's just that trying to get the scooter because new scooters obviously are expensive mm-hmm. you know so um it's kind of down to people maybe borrowing a scooter to give it a try yeah. and once they do then you know it kind of progresses on from there but um yeah it kind of varies like i always recommend to people to start with canny cross anyway just so that your dog has solid commands because obviously you're not going to strap your dog on and let them run with no commands you know so um mm-hmm. we always recommend to start with canny cross and then they kind of progress on to to bike or scooter that way yeah for sure and we um you know i'm a big advocate for the same you know start with your groundwork um you know start hiking walking progress to running and then and move from there you know so um yep. but we we here in australia i suppose but we what we've seen and um you know it may be different uh, to, to what you've seen is that um you know i've had a lot of people uh, new to the sport uh tend to j- jump from you know, say canny or not even participating canny and go straight straight to bike because getting hold of a um you know a bike or a mountain a, a secondhand mountain bike is much easier uh, yep. than than picking up a scooter have you seen the same sort of trends yeah you'll often get people and um you know they'll kind of go oh yeah i, I got a bike uh, we've adverts which would be kind of like gumtree if you got gumtree yeah yeah yeah, yeah yep. so it'd be kind of a, a similar version of that you know so somebody would be like oh i got a bike on on adverts you know and it's usually an old jalopy of a bike and it you know <laughs> weighs a ton and um you know but but that's good it's like when you start driving you don't get a brand new Ferrari to learn to drive, you know what I mean? So getting the older bike is usually better because you are going to have a few falls. You are going to have a few crashes, you know? So obviously the, the older the bike and the, you know, the, the heavier the bike, the more bangs it can take. I'm really selling the sport here, am I? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on. It's not for the same, you know, it's for the average, is it? <laughs> no, not really, no. But uh, no, you will, you'll kind of get people who go, yeah, I, I have a bike and, you know, I'm, I'm currently holding the lead on the handlebars of the bike yep. with the dog pulling and I'm like no 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 hold on <laughs> don't do that you'll kill yourself for sure so, yeah we, we kind of teach them then that that's wrong yeah 100 so um I just want to take a little bit of a side you know sideward step so you know and it's quite interesting that you said it's hard to come across uh you know secondhand uh, scooters because um you know obviously here in Australia we we come across uh, wouldn't say a lot, but you know, we uh, we mm. we we only have primarily uh, you know two to two importers of scooters here, uh, maybe three. You know, if you you know you really sort of look hard, <laughs> um, you know, yeah. obviously they're you know we're a lot further away, say from Europe than you guys are. So it's very interesting mm. to uh, um, to hear that it's hard to get um, you know obviously uh, those secondhand scooters as well. Um, but in regards to brands and, and, you know, looking at scooters, can you tell us a little bit about um, either what you use or what you, you know, some what you see on a regular basis? Um, it kind of depends because, you know, realistically, like Ireland's very, very small and the sport is still very small in Ireland. Mm-hmm. So in terms of scooters, we, what happened before Brexit was mm-hmm. that we used to maybe get somebody who was selling a secondhand one in the UK and they could ship it to Ireland. But now since Brexit, that's just made it 
even harder. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're really dependent on getting a secondhand scooter in Ireland from one of the six or seven people who actually compete in the scooter. Yeah. You know, so it's usually me or some of my friends or whatever that would be selling an old one that we had. Yep. So um, my first one was one that had been passed down from generation to generation. <laughs> I think I was the fourth or fifth owner on it. Um, it was a brand called Paw Trekker. Okay, yep. And it weighed a ton. I mean, I had Lady at the time, which was my small pointer. So she was probably about 21 kilos at the time. Mm-hmm. And this scooter weighed 14 or 15 kilos. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then you're adding my weight into it as well. I mean, trying to lift it was a gym workout in itself, <laughs> yeah. you know. Um, but it was great to begin with because, you know, especially with scooter, getting the hang of kind of movement and stuff like that. And it, you will drop it, you will fall, you will crash, you know. So having the older one was good. It was also a lot harder to push. So it was a good workout in that sense as well. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I got that to see if scooter was something that I wanted to do yeah. and decided that I did. Yeah. So then I moved on to the more popular brand. Well, I think it's more popular called Kickbike. And mm-hmm. um, that's a brand that a lot of people kind of recognize. Yeah. Um, I got a, a Kickbike one and again, it was lighter. It was more kind of streamlined still heavy <laughs> but um it, it was a lot lighter and it was much better and i used that for i'd say probably about four years and then when i got the Eurohound, obviously it's you know because i compete and i want to compete at world championship level i wanted to upgrade this scooter as well mm-hmm. so i did a lot of shopping did a lot of research spoke to a lot of people um and decided on a brand it, it had kind of come down to three brands so one was Traxxer which is Igor Trex's. Um, so anyone who who's into sled dog sports will recognize his name. He's a world champion bike jar guy. Um, and he has his own brand of rigs and scooters. So there was his one. There was Bulla, which is from Russia. And then there was Doxter, which is a Czech brand. Um, so after kind of shopping around and, and to and from with different people who knew bikes and scooters and stuff like that, I decided to get the Doxter one. Um, so... It's an aluminium frame, so it's quite lightweight. I mean, I think the frame alone is only about four kilos, so it's it's really light. Um, got carbon forks, so that, you know everything is is lightweight. The wheels are carbon, the the tires are tubeless, so it probably weighs maybe six or seven kilos max. Mm-hmm. You know, compared to 14, 15 kilos, which is what I started out with. Um, you know, but yeah, there's a big difference when you kind of compare it to. Yeah. You know, that would be kind of nearly top of the range. In yeah. terms of scooters and stuff like that, compared to to what you start off with, but that's um, you know, big books as well. So you're not expecting people to kind of go out and and spend big money on something that they're not really sure whether they're they're going to do or not. Exactly, you know, and uh, you know, for me, um, you know, obviously I love uh, the Candy Cross, but you know, however, um, there's a there's a diff- a huge difference in regards to uh, uh, you know cost of entry <laughs> um, compared yeah. to say Candy Cross compared to scooter or even bike, right? <laughs> yeah, definitely Candy Cross. You can pretty much just turn up, and you just need your you know your belt, your bungee, and your dog, and you're fine. Mm. But when it comes to to any of the wheels, you you know, you need good helmets, you need all the other gear that you'll wear when you're cycling or scooting. And then obviously the, you know, the the wheel 
vehicle itself you know yeah exactly and uh you know and, and as you mentioned they're they're not you can't pick them up on gumtree for a couple of hundred dollars generally you know um yeah. here, in, here in australia you know you uh, they pop up every now and again um but certainly um you know they're not uh uh everywhere you know like a like a mountain bike is for instance you know so um so, so i mean that, that old scooter that i started out with is still floating around it's still a hand-me-down yeah. you know there's two there's two of them and you know they've been resprayed and rejigged and everything else you know but there, there are two of them the paw tracker scooters and they're still being passed from person to person you know and that seems to be what we're doing in ireland you know everyone's just borrowing this one to start off and then like i'd be one of the i think they're only three importers in ireland of scooters and i'd be one of them yeah so. yeah for sure and like i said it's very similar here to australia look there may be there may be more that i'm not aware of but certainly uh um very very similar you know so obviously um there's a big difference also in regards to um you know we're going to talk about dogs here for a moment uh you know the the drive and the intensity from uh you know from your dog as well you know so uh not every dog um is keen to pull you know um that hard that intense um you know yeah. when you're when you're just cruising on a on a scooter so can you talk to us about um you know uh, a little bit about that uh the variety of different dogs and as you mentioned so you um, moved to a, a euro hand now is that correct yeah yeah that's right um I mean, I think with, a lot of it depends on how competitive you want to be in terms of the dog that you use. You know, I mean, like I said, I got a husky, which, you know, you kind of associate with the sport. And my husky went, nope, I'd rather be a cat. <laughs> <laughs> you know, she, she was happy to plod along, but she never had that drive. So even with the, the dogs that you would imagine would enjoy the sport, they don't always, you know. And then in saying that, we have what well, we used to have competing in Ireland. We had a little kind of fox terrier. It was probably about four or five kilos on bike jord because they didn't realize they were only small. You know, I mean, you're not going to get much of a pull and obviously you wouldn't pedal too much because you'd run it over. But, you know, it, it, it depends on the drive of the dog, you know. Yeah. And, and like I said, that little fox terrier didn't realize that it wasn't a, a Eurohound or a Greyster, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but Lady McPointer, now the small pointer, she just had that drive, you know. And even though she was small, she was very fast. So if you look at, you know, like the footballers, or the soccer players that you know um thank you the small ones are always definitely. the one that <laughs> they're uh, they're always small and like the small ones are always fast on their feet and they're kind of nippy mm -hmm. um so the pointer would have been like that you know whereas some of the bigger dogs like the northern inuit you know he was about 37 kilos he was more of a plotter mm -hmm. you know kind of lumbering whereas the small lady she flew through obstacles and everything mm -hmm. so the eurohound um she's I suppose she's kind of average size and weight um she'd be about 32 kilos mm -hmm. um so eurohounds are purpose-bred dogs for anyone that doesn't know um they'd be a mix of pointer greyhound and alaskan husky so you know you have three high energy work and breed mm -hmm. dogs there mm -hmm. so you would have the alaskan husky um which would kind of make them a little bit hardier because a lot of people like to race them on snow mm -hmm. so the alaskan husky would kind of make them a little bit hardier for the colder temperatures um, you've got the speed of the greyhound and then you have that stamina of the pointer. Mm -hmm. So when you blend the three of them together, you get a crazy dog <laughs> that just wants to run. And, you know, they're strong and they're just mad. And yeah, um, it, it makes racing a lot more fun. <laughs> sure. And do you primarily uh, primarily compete one dog, two dog? It kind of varies depending on. Um, mm -hmm depending on where I am um I've just come well I came back from France there in November and I was competing in two dog scooter mm -hmm. 
with um with Lady and Maze, who's the Eurohound. Mm-hmm. Um, here it it depends on kind of there's a couple of different clubs, mm-hmm. you know, and I like to kind of change it up. So sometimes I'll do two dog scooter, mm-hmm. and then I'll race in Canny Cross at the same at the same event. Or sometimes I'll do one dog scooter, one dog bike. Mm-hmm. You know, depends on how the legs are feeling as well. Because yeah, yeah, <laughs> two sure. dog scooter, you don't have to kick quite as hard as you do with one. Because obviously you have double the pulling power yeah. and double the danger. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So, um, you know, if we want to, I just want to dial it back, you know, uh, to a couple of the basics here at the moment as well. So, you know, let's just say that we've got someone there out there. They've been they they've uh, been dabbling in, say, Candy Cross for a little while. They got, you know, got they feel that they've got a good solid foundation. Um, in regards to you know their their commands, the the dogs you know really working well in the harness, and they want to transition from uh, Candy Cross to Scooter. And I know this is one of the um you know one of the questions that popped up uh, when we asked the, uh, the the audience on social media was how do you transition your dog from Candy Cross to to the to the Scooter? Prepared that once your dog gets a taste of the speed on wheels, good luck, Canny Cross, and <laughs> because they're going <laughs> to expect to be uh, able to run at that speed all the time. Yeah. Um, I think with something like Scooter, um, one of the things that you really need to do first before you ever attach your dog mm-hmm. is get your own skills on the Scooter. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Work on changing legs and learning how to kick properly because you know bike is something we all grew up on bikes. Mm-hmm. You know we all know how to cycle a bike. But kicking a scooter is slightly different, you know. Um, and if you want to scoot more efficiently, you need to change your feet so that one leg's not getting fatigued. And that's all stuff that you really need to do before you ever attach the dog. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, I mean, once your dog knows their commands and they know left, right, easy, stop, <laughs> whoa, hold on, I fell. Uh, once they know all that, you, you know, you can kind of transition. The only difference really in terms of equipment is that you would generally use a what's called a bike jarring arm. So that goes out. Um, it usually attaches to the stem of the, the handlebars, but there are different variations on that. So your bungee lead will loop through that just to keep the lead away from the wheel. Mm-hmm. The lead is also slightly longer. So a general canny cross bungee would stretch to about two meters, mm-hmm. whereas a bike one would be about 2.7, 2.8 meters. It's just that bit longer to keep the dog out in front away from the wheels. Mm-hmm. But usually most dogs take to it quite well. I mean, if they're used to pulling in canny cross you know once they have that harness on they know that it allows them to pull um so once you hook them up to the bike or the scooter most of them are happy to go what you sometimes find is they kind of go really slowly at first because that's what they're used to with canny cross not that i'm saying your canny cross slow but it is slower than um than wheels but once they get the hang of it after two or three runs generally they they take to it quite well yeah for sure you know some people actually like um they like to have somebody in front so if they have like a partner or whatever, they sometimes get them to cycle out in front and, and call the dog and get the dog to chase. But that that can kind of work sometimes. And other times then you will develop a dog that will only chase if there's somebody out in front. So it does depend on the dog. You know, some dogs, once they realize they can run, they don't care who's in front, whereas other dogs will really only run. That's what I did with um with my Northern Inuit years ago. I had him chasing. Mm-hmm. So now he'll run really well if he's chasing. Mm-hmm. but if he's out in front he'd be like oh there's nobody for me to chase you know so it, it can work sometimes but other times it can kind of be a bit more detrimental to have them chasing somebody 
Yeah. And, uh, you know, I love that, that uh, you know, you talk about um, getting familiar with your your wheels, you know, before you even attach the bike, you know, um, you know, I've had a, a number of people come to me and say, they look, they feel safer on a, on a scooter so they can, you know, they can, they're closer to the ground. <laughs> you know, they, yeah. You can jump off a lot easier. Yeah. Than a, than <laughs> the a dismount bike. Is, is less dramatic than a bike. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Right. <laughs> but so, you know, whether it's uh, you know, a scooter or a bike, just, you know, getting comfortable, even just little things, um, you know, like your front and rear brakes to be, make sure that you're not, um, you know, you're not putting on the, the front brakes. <laughs> yeah, somersault. <laughs> exactly right. You know, so, you know, certainly um, I love the fact that you've, you've mentioned that, that you really need to get comfortable with your with your bike or your scooter before you even think about, um, you know, attaching the bikes. Um, you know, that's, that's for me, you know, once, once your dog's in the harness and you're pulling, you know, we want to make sure that we uh, are definitely there uh, and you're comfortable before you even think about it yeah yeah because people often don't realize that you know having a bad fall on a bike or a scooter can be quite traumatic for the dog mm -hmm. you know especially if the dog doesn't realize and they're maybe running and they have the bike or the scooter kind of clattering behind them that can be quite scary for a dog and it can often put them off doing bike or scooter down for a while so sometimes you have to go right back to basics and and start introducing the bike and the scooter all over again you know so at least if you have those skills you're less likely to have any accidents that might actually scare the dog for life, you know? Yeah, 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 for sure. No, I agree. Um, what about helmets? You know, um, you know, we obviously we 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 always recommend helmets Eat them. <laughs> <laughs> for, yeah. for, for safety, but um, just uh, a standard um, bicycle helmet or you like full face helmets? What uh, what's your preference there? I just kind of I have a top quality regular helmet, you know, mountain bike helmet. Um, mm -hmm. Some people go full face mm -hmm. um it's kind of down to preference you know you'll have some mountain bikers who already kind of have a, a more full face helmet um and then kind of working off that some people like to wear body armor when they're yeah. biking and scouting as well yeah. you know so they'll have um knee pads elbow pads and they'll also have like chest padding as well just yeah. you know because I, I know of an incident i heard of an incident in the uk a few years ago where somebody was on the rig and they crashed into a tree and broke their back mm. Yep. You know, now they did recover, but, you know, it, that's why a lot of people choose to to pad every part of their body, you know. Um, yep. Yep. Obviously, helmet wise, starting out, you know, you can you can start off with a, a basic helmet, but obviously mm -hmm. the more you pay for the helmet, the better quality in theory yeah. it should be, you yeah, know. Sure. And if if you value your looks, then you might want to go for a, a full my, my looks were fecked years ago, so I don't worry about uh, full face. I'm okay. That's right. <laughs> my, That's my face doesn't make me money, so I don't mind. <laughs> for sure. And, you know, and for, you know, as well as, you know, your safety or the, you know, um, you know, obviously we need to be worried about um, the, you know, the dog safety as well as, you know, but, um, you know, we'll talk about, uh, you know, warm up and, and you know, uh, you know what sort of routine you go through uh, very soon, but um, you know we want to make sure that if you're going to get on uh, on a scooter or a bike, that your you know your safety is is paramount as well. Yeah, so I yeah. I, I definitely see um, you know a number of people um, with yeah uh, full face helmets and even like I said, getting into the body armor. Uh, obviously, we compete in winter, so uh, you know we generally have gloves on anyway to protect our hands. But uh, um, yeah. you know these are these are just little things that um, sometimes people just overthink or or you know or don't uh, or overlook at times as well another thing with a helmet is make sure it fits mm -hmm. you properly because mm -hmm. you see so many people that wear helmets and they're kind of sitting right on the top of their head mm -hmm. or the chin strap will be too loose i mean if you crash with a chin strap that's too loose 
your helmet's going to do feck all because it's just going to be stuck to the back of your head, you know? Yeah. So make sure that it does fit your property. Because mm -hmm. obviously, um, I, th I think some, actually some helmet manufacturers recommend that you don't wear hats or stuff underneath either. Yeah. Um, now, obviously in the winter, you kind of have that temptation if it's minus three and you're racing, you kind of want to put a hat underneath it. But um, I know a lot of the manufacturers, when you buy kind of expensive helmets in the usage rules or whatever, it'll often say don't wear anything underneath just because you're getting the, the full benefit of the helmet if you're not wearing anything yeah yeah for sure um so you know let's talk about um your your i suppose what you've been doing obviously you mentioned uh uh france uh yeah. you know that's uh super exciting can you tell us a little bit about that um i take every opportunity that i can and money permitting um to compete abroad because you know the sport is so small here in ireland Mm -hmm. um, and it's actually almost easier to go to France for us in Ireland than it is to go to the UK now because of mm -hmm. Brexit and everything else. And to be honest, a ferry to France doesn't cost that much more for us than a ferry to the UK because obviously I drive a van, mm -hmm. so it's quite expensive to go on the ferry. Um, but yeah, we, we would regularly go to France. There's an event in France every in around Halloween. It's called TSB, so it's Trophy Sous Bourgogne. I know my French pronunciation is crap. <laughs> Um, but it's I'm an eight-day stage race. I, I'm not going to try and put the accent on because that just sounds worse. Um, it's an eight-day stage race. So you kind of base yourself in one region and you race in different locations, kind of maybe half an hour from, from your base every day and you compete over eight days. And I mean, the views and the scenery, <clears throat> sorry, the, the scenery is just amazing, you know, because you're up in French mountains and countryside and stuff like that, you know. Yeah. And the trails are crazy. Yeah. <laughs> they're crazy they're mad in france like the <laughs> the trails are i mean there's trails that we've come back from racing on guns health safety over here would never never allow it you know you're you're weaving through trees on trails that are barely there and you're yeah. i mean there, there was one race where you start off you have a nice straight section then you have a tight left turn and you're going over this really narrow bridge up into a, a mad hill and they're sending rigs out on this and the rigs are barely the width of the you know the of the bridge and you're kind of going no way you know but it's acceptable nobody complains i mean you look back here and you'll have somebody going i don't like that trail blah 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 blah. Yeah. over there they just get down and they do it you know and they they don't give a shit you know and and, and that's that's just the way it is and some of the trails are they really are crazy you know especially if you're doing wheels because you're going to mm -hmm. mad speeds on trails that are just crazy and it makes it more fun but it also it really makes you work more as a team you know, and, that, and that's what, because myself and my two friends kind of go over every year and it really makes you work with your dog. So you can't, especially on wheels, you can't just stand there and do nothing. You can't just sit there and do nothing. You're working just as hard as your dog. Mm -hmm. And that makes it more enjoyable in the long run. And it really is about teamwork. Yep. Yep. So, so you know, so just to recap, so it's, <clears throat> you're racing every single day for eight days. In, uh, yeah. So and they accumulate your times then at the end. So they add up all the times and you, you get your kind of total time and that's how they base the rankings on them. Yeah. Awesome. So, you know, let's talk about, um, I suppose it, uh, we'll start with preparation, but then also, you know, how you uh, look at uh, managing, um, you know, recovery, making sure the dogs are healthy, you know, uh, nutrition intake. Let's, let's sort of pull that apart a little bit. Hey, <laughs> where do you want to start <laughs> yeah i suppose let's, let's talk about preparation so it's you mark that on your calendar every year that that's that's a you know an event for um that you want to participate yeah um so it it can be kind of difficult in terms of dogs fitness i suppose um because obviously we're in ireland we're coming out of summer mm -hmm. you know so the end of october the dogs are still quite 
you know, they have their summer bodies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, they're getting there, but our racing season in Ireland only starts at the beginning of October. Mm-hmm. You know, whereas you look at some of the other countries where they've actually been racing the dogs through through the summer and the dogs are fit, you know. So that's one thing that you kind of you need to take into consideration. Um so we would do stuff like hydrotherapy with the dogs over the summer and mm-hmm. you know different kind of conditioning exercises and stuff just to keep them to keep them fit being aware that this is coming up you know yeah. um and then it depends on the weather i mean this year we had shit weather it was really really hot i mean even while we were abroad and this was the end of october which would normally be quite cold while we were in france it was still quite warm and they they actually cut some of the trails short because yeah. of the heat yeah you know yeah, cool. Um, so, you know, obviously you've got a, a ferry ride from Ireland over to France. Um, yeah. You know, you, like I said, you try to, um, you know, have a, a the best accommodation you can without having to travel too far, um, yeah. you know, each day. It's always, you know, and uh, is that accommodation cabin style? Yeah, you're, you're, yeah, you're oh, no, camping. Jesus. Yeah, I, would, I wouldn't be in a tent. No, thanks. Because <laughs> <laughs> the end of October, you just don't know. It could be. Baltic you know what I mean or it, yeah. it could be warm like this year if you were camping you would have been lucky yeah. um I don't have a camper van some people do so they kind of just roll up and there they are they're in their houses and yeah. um, we usually rent some sort of a chalet mm-hmm. there are two or three campsites that are kind of around the base area and they they will open specifically for us because most I think most campsites usually close on the 1st of October in France yep um, so they will specifically open for us and they're all dog friendly and they don't mind the dogs in the cabins and, and stuff like that. Because obviously if you're competing for that amount of time, you need your comfort, you need your rest, you know, you need to be able to recover. And if you're in a tent on site, like you would be at maybe a weekend event, yep. you just wouldn't be able to, to chill. The dogs wouldn't be able to unwind quite as easily, mm-hmm. you know, and then kind of take that time in between races. Cause races are usually finished by, 12 midday you know what i mean so you kind of have the rest of the day then to to head home you can chill you can you know there, there was a lake where we were staying so you can maybe take the dogs out for a little swim later in the evening and go for a nice walk yep. but it, it's very important that the dogs have that time just to kind of mm-hmm. take their brains down from racing and get ready for the next day yeah for sure um and you know you're not and that's what we often find you know as you know with weekend competition they're um you know everyone's on top of each other and the you know um the the stress levels for the dogs are still quite high you know in regards to having everyone on top of you you know and not just being they just can't chill out and uh you know take the time they need for their whole system to uh to recover for especially over you know obviously a weekend of it's you know not too bad but you know if you're doing that over eight consecutive days and yeah. uh, and some pretty um as you mentioned earlier some pretty crazy um terrain and and uh, courses um certainly um you know doesn't make you know if you don't have that time to chill out and recover it certainly doesn't make you know your eight days no. enjoy- enjoyable for you or your dog right definitely not yeah um so i've you know i've friend you know you're in the alps you're in the you're in a chalet <laughs> this sounds like a what more could you want it's a holiday as much as it is anything else it's great you know yeah for sure um so how many like people from all over europe you know just for the listeners out there all over the place come and participate yeah um i suppose france would probably be the most popular and um, yeah. quite a lot of people from the uk yep there's usually three or four of us from ireland that will go over it was our third year there this year um and then obviously from all the, the european countries um did we get anyone else 
outside. No, I think that was it. I think it was just kind of Europe. Yeah. Mostly. But I mean, I think they I think this year they had 180 people competing. Yeah. I think they cap it at 200, you yeah. know. Yeah. Um, and then that's obviously over. You have Canny Cross, you have Rig, you have Bike Jar, and you have one dog skewer or two dog skewer, and then you have the kids' Canny Cross classes as well. Yeah, awesome. You know, that's that's awesome. I'd love to see that, you know, those sort of numbers, um, you know, we uh, compete, you know, or even over a, an event would be so so awesome to see. Um, so Our dogs actually find it quite um, strange because, like I said, our events in Ireland are very small. You know what I mean? Like we'd have maybe 40, 50 at a push, yep. you know, so that intensity of having, you know, I mean, 180 competitors but they're not all racing one dog some of them yeah, are doing yeah, four yeah. dog rig you know what i mean so yeah, you're probably yeah. looking at the guts of maybe 250 dogs in an area you know and that mm. noise that intensity is yeah. is crazy you know so even that for our dogs can be a lot because they're not used to that madness yeah, yeah. you know so that kind of sometimes that takes time you know maybe two or three days in and it's not until the dogs actually get used to it that you you feel that they're comfortable and they're yeah they're they're happy in, in that environment you know yeah, for sure. Um, so let's talk about, uh, you know, obviously over an eight day period of um, nutrition, I suppose, both for you and, you know, and the dogs as well. Well, you know, for so the dogs. It's for the dogs. That's okay. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. All right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so nutrition, obviously part of the recovery. Um, do you have a set uh, routine or a set particular style of nutrition that you like to, um, you know, to feed the dogs? You yeah, obviously, um, you know, I'm a big believer of that's where, that's where everything starts there in nutrition. So, you know, tell us a little bit about your, uh, your routine in regards to that. Uh, well, my dogs are raw fed, which, um, you know, I, I find works best for my dogs and I feel that they, you know, they really kind of have the benefit of raw and I've, you know, that's personal choice and obviously not everyone agrees with that and that's fine. Um, you know, we give a couple of supplements. We don't kind of over supplement them yep. now, obviously because you're staying in, you know, in the middle of nowhere in France, it's not always easy. So we bring as much raw as we can mm -hmm. with us. Um, probably, I don't think we're actually allowed to bring raw that's meat just into France. That's what I was just about to say. <laughs> I was going to say, what are the rules about uh, taking no, nobody. <laughs> um, no, no, we don't bring. We just bring their regular dog food. Really, so we just say that. <laughs> um, the only thing in France is that the, the supermarkets actually sell animal meat. Well, it's it's called meat for animals when you translate it from France, from French. Um, so you get all these kind of fatty offcuts of beef mm -hmm. and you get maybe a kilo for two euro, you know, and, and that's sold beside the regular beef in the supermarket so when when we're over there we kind of try and stock up as much as we can and all the supermarkets will get a visit and you know especially with um so many other people being there it's kind of hit and miss because everyone's heading for the same supermarket looking for the same thing yeah and um, now what i actually did last year was there's a german company um that do raw but they'll actually deliver to france mm -hmm. so we got a raw food delivery last year and um, a few of us kind of banded together and put in a big 400 euro <laughs> worth of meat order and um ordered it to the campsite so we did that this year as well which made life a lot easier because yep. you know some people will change from raw to kibble mm -hmm. when they're traveling yeah i don't I, I don't give me dogs kibble at all you know what i mean and and i don't want to <laughs> and that's yeah. just personal choice mm -hmm. um 
you know, I, I feel changing their food when we're traveling is just adding on to the stress of actually traveling and competing and all. Mm-hmm. So finding this raw company that actually deliver was a godsend and it just made life a lot easier. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I agree. And, uh, you know, it's look, I, I understand when, uh, you know, people say they, they ch- may change the food, do you know, because it's easy to travel with or something like that. But like you said, it's yeah. just another stressor for, you, for your dog. And uh, obviously you would hope that uh, you would have introduced that um, that uh, food prior to, uh, you know, the, yeah. the, to traveling. But um, it's certainly always going to be hit and miss, um, as you mentioned. Um, and once again, I'm, I'm not a, a kibble or, or dry food advocate. Um, and if you listen to this podcast, you probably, you know that already, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they know what to expect. Yeah, ditch, ditch the dry as, uh, you know, one company, um, you know, that I interviewed. I also, um, I get some dehydrated raw that I bring as well, but mm-hmm. that's expensive when you're feeding the guts of three kilos a day, you know, so I, I bring that to kind of supplement the days that maybe I can't find a huge amount of meat, you know, but um, yep. that's yep. good. It's just expensive. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, so you know, I'd love to. You know, one of those life goals is to, uh, you know, to go to France and uh, you know participate. It'd be a fantastic event. I've, I see a lot of photos and I see a lot of uh, video each year, but uh, I wanted to uh, talk. You know, obviously talk about that because I think it's a really interesting. Uh, um, I suppose event, and uh, you know, yep. I'd, I'd encourage anyone out there to uh, to go and um, you know check it out, and you know, on you know, just is, in your opinion, uh, you've already mentioned how beautiful it is, but is there anything else quite like it that you've attended? Not really, although um, as I kind of mentioned in the beginning, um, I've gone to a few European and World Championships. Yep. You know, a few years ago we went to Italy, <clears throat> and that was the most amazing place that I've ever seen scenery wise. And even the drive there, cause we had to drive, we got the ferry to France and drove through Switzerland mm-hmm. and we went up this, um, it's called the Simplon path. So it's this bridge that kind of goes up on the side of a mountain, but just, you know, by the time you got up to the top of the mountain, it was frosty and just the views from that height were amazing. Um, you know, so the drive just to get to Italy alone mm-hmm. was breathtaking yeah where the location where the race location was in italy um i mean if you look back on race photos you can just see clear blue sky mountains in the background or people paragliding off the mountains in the background um (laughs) the trails were amazing the the views were amazing you know every morning there was a a farmer who walked by with his cattle and they had you know the old school bells yeah you know the old cattle bells and they were just walking by and it was like it was just like another world, you know, and that's definitely one of the most beautiful places that I've ever been to, you know, and it was yep. just amazing. Yeah, yeah, awesome. So um, what's, uh, you know, what do you, what do you got planned in the, in the future? I know that we've talked about, um, you know, uh, another, you know, world championships, um, mm. you know, what's, what's sort of big on your goal, goal list in the next, uh, I suppose, this winter, but also uh, for next year as well? Uh, this winter I can't afford to go abroad anymore <laughs> so uh, I'm staying in Ireland I might go to the UK if if money permits um because yep. it's bloody expensive all these racing events abroad and all um definitely have my sights set on the world championships in Germany but that's not till next October yep. now what we were thinking of doing um because the events kind of run together we were hoping to maybe go over for about five weeks mm-hmm. and go to the world championships in Germany first and then down to TSB in yep. France. Cause I think that's about a week later. Yep. And then I think the IFSS world, uh, are they world championships this year? The IFSS championships. I'm not sure if they're world or European, they change it. 
every second year. Um, they're in France as well. So we're kind of hoping that we can go over and stay yeah. and compete in the three altogether if we yeah. can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. So uh, definitely world championships in Germany, though, is, is kind of what I'm yeah. gearing towards. In one dog's in one dog scooter? One dog scooter, yeah. Because mm -hmm. the ICF, which is the International Candy Cross Federation, they only do mono mm -hmm. sports. Mm -hmm. Whereas the IFSS, which is the International Federation of Sled Dog Sports, they would do two dog and rig and, and all that. So, yeah. 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 With uh, which, which dog? <laughs> uh, Maze, definitely Maze. Yeah. Because uh, last year, Lady actually got to run with one of the juniors, which was great. So at least she didn't feel left out. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Junior had a, a blast with her as well, you know. So we'll see. We might do that again. I might be able to loan her out to somebody so at least <laughs> she gets a run in as well. Yeah. But definitely Maze. Yeah, Maze is my my world championship dog. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. So, you know, this is just a, another random question. Over the last, let's just say, you know, four, maybe five years, right, you know, um, in your, this is certainly uh, in your opinion only, how have you felt that, you um, you know, uh, Kenny and also the mono sports um, have been progressing and, and, you know, I'll be seeing an increase in numbers and, and, you know, people wanting to participate. Obviously, uh, you know, here in Australia, we're seeing a lot of people get uh, either import or, or purchase euros, you know, to be that, you know, that next level competitive, um, you know, so have you, you know, what's in, in your opinion, uh, how have you seen those sort of things rolling out? Definitely an increase in the in the amount of Greysters and Eurohounds that um that people are racing with. And even at World Championship, you know, European Championship, you see a lot more of the, the hounds, you know, where you'll have people with English pointers and, and German pointers, you know. It definitely it's very kind of gone very houndy, mm -hmm. you know. So a lot of people are getting um are getting hounds because obviously if they want to compete at that sort of level, you know. I mean, I think with Candy Cross, it's not there's a lot more on the human and the speed that the human can run, you know, because obviously dogs can run faster than us, whereas with wheels, a lot of it is on the dog, you know, and the dog kind of needs to be fast to be able to keep up with, you know, with the best of the best. Yep. Um. Yeah. So when you go abroad, you definitely see a lot more hounds than you would have four or five years ago. Mm -hmm. In terms of the sport, it is, I mean, like I said, Ireland's a small country it is yeah. grown although we have seen at the last couple of races that we've been at that numbers are down and i think it's just i mean i don't know what it's like over in australia but you know nobody has money here anymore mm -hmm. you know everything's gone up the price of fuel has gone up so people can't heat their houses and you know mm -hmm. the the price of diesel went um and petrol just went through the roof there a few months ago and um you know people just can't afford to be driving to to events and stuff like that you know so mm -hmm. while numbers have increased at some events we we're not seeing quite as many people at the moment just because people yeah. haven't got that sort of disposable income yeah you know but uh, no it definitely is growing it's slowly growing here in ireland um because i'm i'm actually president of canny cross ireland which um obviously we do canny cross bike skewer one dog and two dog skewer mm -hmm. and you know the membership numbers have grown and we're getting a lot more new people you know we're getting the, the kind of regular members coming back but we're getting a lot more new people as well which is is good to see you know and some of them are you know really passionate and dedicated and they went to the world championships in france there in april and you know it's good to see that there are a lot of people that are coming and they're dedicated and they you know they want to you know they're passionate i suppose rather than yep. dedicated 
Yeah, for sure. And look, you know, we've seen, uh, you know, uh, over the last couple of years, obviously COVID come about and we've seen a, uh, you know, a lot of events cancelled and, uh, yep. you know, so we're just finding our feet again in regards to, uh, uh, you know, and building traction again to get those numbers um, back, you know, so uh, that's what here in Australia. So, you know, I, you know, that's why I wanted to ask to see if it was uh, similar. Um, yeah, it's similar there. You are finding that we kind of, after COVID, when things started kind of, you know, running again um pardon the pun we got a lot of new people who had obviously taken up canny cross over covid yeah. so we got yeah. we got quite a lot of new especially canny crossers more so than wheels yeah. we got a lot of new people in then you know mm-hmm. yeah for sure um look like i said we're, we're seeing this the same so um, you know hopefully uh you know 2023 for us um and you know 2024 we'll, we'll see uh, you know getting you know back to those uh, those good numbers uh that we you know we're, we're used to i suppose um, pre, you know, pre-COVID. Pre-COVID, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything's yeah. pre-COVID. <laughs> oh, exactly yeah. right. So now, um, you know, like I said, we're building traction again, and, and you know, some really cool events are popping up, um, you know, around the place. So it's, it's good to see, um, and I'm excited to see what happens in uh, 2023 for sure as well. So well, I know that um, you know we talked about, uh, you know, touched on your your your, um, your gallon therapy. Um, can you tell us a little mm-hmm. bit about that and a couple of things that you've been, um, other, yeah, your um, your other courses and and knowledge you've been sort of seeking lately? <laughs> um, yeah, so gallon myotherapy. Um, it's essentially a form of massage, canine massage. Um, what makes it different from some of the others, I suppose, is that the the kind of basis of everything is what's called positive pact. So um, it's all about the dog choosing the treatment, you know, so when you go to treat a dog, whether you go to the house to treat the dog or whether they come to you, if you have a, you know, a a treatment room or whatever, Mm -hmm. you will have the bed or the treatment area and the dog will only ever get treated there. So they'll only ever get the massage while they're in that area. So you're not going chasing the dog around the room, trying to, you know, hold them down and, and give them a massage because, I've actually seen on, on one or two Facebook groups, I mean, there was one post and it said, oh, you know, Marley didn't want a massage. It took three of us to hold him down to give him a massage. Yep. You know, and you're kind of going, what in the name of Jesus? You know, like a massage yeah. is supposed to be relaxing. Yeah. I understand, you know, if you have tight muscles, it can be kind of sore. Um, but, mm-hmm. you know, you're kind of going, that, you know, that completely flies against mm-hmm. what it's supposed to be doing, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just remember reading it going, All right, I'm leaving this group. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because it, it was horrible to read. Mm-hmm. So gallomyotherapy is very, you know, it's, it's the dog choosing to be treated, you know. Mm-hmm. So your your first treatment with the dog, you might get 10 minutes of hands on time, but the dog will then learn, you know, oh, this is what you're here for. I actually felt better the last time you were here. Mm-hmm. Um, so they kind of choose to be treated, you know, and it, it can be used for maintenance treatments for sports dogs just as much as it can for dogs that have arthritis or, or other issues or yeah. anything like that you know so um yeah it's good and the positive pact was one of the reasons why i chose that over yeah. a lot of the other courses that um yeah. that were on the market um plus i know kushla um you know she was yeah. she was on one of your podcasts um i would know her through the sled dog race world anyway you know so um yeah that kind of guided me that way mm-hmm. um in terms of other courses I'm always doing something <laughs> um, I work nights as a, as a care assistant and you know when it's quiet on nights I kind of get all my college work done then which is handy it's the only one benefit of the job at this stage is getting college work done yeah. um I did uh what did I do I did a zoo pharmacognosy 
course. Um, I know you were talking to Connor Brady about it, um, yeah, yeah. the podcast you did with him. Mm. Um, nice big fancy word that not everyone can pronounce, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> it kind of it, it works on the basis of animals. I mean, if you anyone who's owned dogs has seen the dog go out and eat grass, you know, and sometimes they get sick, and you know, sometimes you know you might get a stone or something that comes up in the grass in the vomit. Um, but dogs will gravitate towards grass if they feel sick, yep. you know, and some people actually reckon that maybe grass is like a I don't know if you have like Rennie, you know, the antacid tablets when you have heartburn, you take it. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, there's a theory that grass maybe might have the same kind of benefit for dogs, you know. So I suppose that's the easiest way of explaining zoo pharmacognosy. It's dogs choosing certain plants or certain, you know, herbs and stuff like that that they feel will benefit them depending on what's going on in their bodies, yeah. you know, or even lavender. You know, if yeah. a dog is stressed, yeah. if you have lavender in the garden, you might find the dog is going out and they're just sitting beside the lavender plant mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know so it kind of works on that basis obviously it's a lot more complicated but that's probably yeah. the easiest way to explain it yeah yeah for sure and, and look you know like i um I, I put a little dab of uh lavender oil on my pillow sometimes you know some nights too uh, and I'm, I'm out like literally out with it in you know within uh, minutes yeah. you know um and i find that uh um you know all this sort of stuff really really interesting and uh you know we're looking at things that um you know uh in their infancy or or people really don't um you know haven't really got right into yet as well so i really love mm -hmm. the fact that um you know you're bringing in these different elements of uh uh you know it's a whole you know i don't like using the word holistic too much but you know you know like uh, we're looking yeah. at everything um, well it is i mean because i'd be into i'd be very into kind of natural uh -huh. elements of care for my dog yep. i suppose best way to put it you know in terms of raw feeding and you know i don't over vaccinate i don't yeah you know i have a holistic vet myself that i bring the dogs to you know um so that's something that i kind of want to have for the business as well you know i don't want to be kind of pushing things on dogs that they don't need, you know, and I, I think people are more open to it as well, though. Mm -hmm. You know, I think nowadays, if you'd gone back 10 years, people would have been like, what in the name of Jesus? Look at that mm -hmm. hokey pokey. <laughs> you know, She's doing all this witchcraft stuff in our in our yeah. business or whatever, whereas now people are definitely more open to to try and stuff like that with their dogs. 100%. And, you know, just while we're talking about that. So, you know, I had a client just last week say to me that, um, you know, uh, her vet and her um so she had two people in a week comment on um, the condition of her dog. You know, she has a very, very fit and healthy dog. She comes to me for uh, fitness and conditioning sessions, uh, and the mm. dog for the dog for me is is you know looks great, Perfect. right? Yep, for sure. So the vet told her that the dog was underweight, and so did her groomer, right? And um, she was quite upset, like actually uh, very, very upset, like tears crying, right? Mm. So, uh, and then so she was a little bit sheepish when she she told me, and and I said. I lost, I lost it, right? I got angry and I'm like, this is fucking bullshit. Give me that vet's number, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I said, you'd need it. You know, I said, look, in my opinion, if my vet said, my vet wouldn't say this, but if my vet said that to me, I would change vets. If my groomer said that to me, I would change groomers. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, um, please show me your dog and, and oh, holy shit, your Labrador's 40 kilos overweight, you know, <laughs> you know, and yeah. you're telling me that my fit and conditioned healthy dog is, um, you know, uh, depleted or, you know, undernourished, you know, um, yeah. ab absolutely made me angry as, um, so, you know, uh, we're seeing, we're still seeing that mentality from, 
you know, from vets and also other, um, you know, pet professionals, uh, because they just don't know, right? <clears throat> so I, um, you know, I love bringing on board, uh, you know, people to on the podcast and saying, hey, you know, um, surround yourself with with like minded people, and um, you know, your dog looks great and it's fit, it's healthy, it's got, you know, uh, it's great, great balance in life, you know. Um, so, you know, don't listen to some of those negative people out there you know it drives me nuts <laughs> that's the problem i mean people mm-hmm. you know will look at her dog and go oh that's abuse it's underweight mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. well yeah you look at it like you said a, a flabrador that's you know overweight by you know three times its own body weight mm-hmm. and that's not seen as neglect that's right you know and, and that's so bloody annoying because you see these fat dogs waddling around and you know yeah. they have a much worse quality of life than a dog that might be a little mm-hmm. bit underweight you know sure. For sure. And, and I love seeing, you know, um, whether it be raw feeders or, you know, people that are looking to uh, get into uh, alternative natural uh, therapies uh, for dogs mm-hmm. in particular um, and in a professional manner uh, start to, th- you know, start to th- thrive. And, and I definitely see, you know, like, you know, when I started Dogs and Deadlifts, people are like, well, what the fuck is Dogs and Deadlifts? But, you know, <laughs> you know, um, you know. The dogs the- are doing the deadlifts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah. And, um, you know, I see, you know, it was like a five-year plan, five-year plan. And, you know, I was, you know, keen to spread the word and, and get as many people um, on board as possible. And, and I'm mm. achieving that obviously slowly, but, um, you know, and I love to talk to people. Like I said, you're on the other side of the world and you're, you know, you're, you're on the same sort of page, you know? So yeah. um, if you're out there and you're listening to this and you, you know, you, you're, um, you know, you're vet or you're, uh, uh, you know, you're groomer or someone tells you that, you um, you know your your dog's underwear weight or it doesn't look great or etc cetera, etc cetera. you know don't get too upset and um you know look for people that will encourage you and uh help and sh- help you and, and guide you through um, whatever you to your whatever goals that you want to achieve right yeah definitely surround yourself with like-minded people like you said makes yeah. life a lot more pleasant yeah, for sure. So, um, you know, on that, you know, I've had my little bit of a rant there from you. Know, That's fine. <laughs> you know, we're not talking about scooters here for a minute. You know, we're, no, it's we're, all right. You know, but, um, you know, on that, you know, I sort of just want to wrap things up a little bit. So you've got, a, a like I said, a super exciting, uh, you know, 2023 coming up um, with those world championship goals. Um, you know, if anyone sort of wants to uh, to reach out to you or, or you know, talk more about um, uh, Candy Cross, Scooter, Bike Jaw, obviously, you're in um you know you're in ireland but you also you know you've done a you retail products and things like that as well how can they uh, get in contact with you um well obviously i'm on facebook um and instagram i think instagram is positive fitness ireland i think or maybe i changed it recently but if you put in p-a-w-s-i-t-i-v-e fitness yeah. um you'll, you'll find me and my profile picture is probably me running the dogs which <laughs> nobody knows what i look like without a helmet on um <laughs> yeah and the same on facebook it would be positive fitness i also have a website that's um www.k and the number nine fitness.ie um but you know i'm always happy to chat you know if somebody is looking for advice on on equipment or you know like you said if somebody wants to know if their dog looks okay or not you know because they've been telling somebody that their dog is chunky or it's too skinny or whatever you know i'm always happy to chat i'm happy to chat dogs at any time yeah you know yeah, awesome. All right, yeah. uh, Louise Jones, thank you very much for uh, for joining us here on the Dogs and Deadlist podcast for uh, for a good chat. Thank you. Thanks for having me.
Are you lacking some clarity around dog nutrition, dog fitness, or scent work? You are not alone. Learn how to ignite your dog's physical and mental performance, safe, systematic, and injury-free. Yes, you can improve your dog's physical and mental performance and achieve amazing results following the dogs and deadlifts programming. Because this work is not just about you, it's whom you do it with. We understand you want to make sure your coach is the right fit. Get access to certified canine athlete specialist coach and owner of Dogs and Deadlifts, Daniel Rose. And you can figure out how to get the results you're looking for, whether it is your dog's general behavior, athletic performance, or sports scent detection. Book your 30-minute free online discovery call with Daniel today. The link is shown in the notes below.